hope that's been helpful. Um, so to begin looking at the reliability of scripture, we're going to look at what is actually this book in our hands. We're going to begin by looking at what does the Bible have to say about the Bible. Um, so to begin with, we're going to look at what God's word can do so that we can better understand what it means that we're holding God's word. So remember back in Genesis 1, by what means did God create the world? It was by his word. The same word that separated darkness from light and sea from sky is the same word that we hold in our hands. God's word has the power to create birds and fish and plants out of nothing. And so the word of the Bible is just as powerful as the word of creation. They're literally the same thing. And throughout the Bible, we see God's word doing amazing things. God makes covenants or promises um, throughout the Old Testament. And by what means does he do that? It is by his word. He speaks and the promises he makes come to fulfillment. He promised Abraham a great family, and it happened. He promised a, a land, and after 40 years, his people entered the promised land. He promised us new hearts, and today we sit as transformed people. So the same word that makes the covenants into creation is the word that we today have in front of us. The word of the Bible is just as trustworthy as the word that made the covenants. God's word also gave us his law. Remember when we were going through the Ten Commandments, the thing that kept being repeated is that the Ten Commandments can actually be translated as the Ten Words. So God's word also spoke the law into existence, the most basic form of human ethics and rules to live by. Therefore, the word of the Bible is just as helpful and true as the word that gave us the commandments. So let's get into the text and see what it has to say. Can you turn to 2 Peter, chapter 1, verses 19 to 21? A bit of a spoiler for next year. Grace, would you go to read that? Grace is going to read that first. Do you want to use the mic? And we have the prophetic word more fully conformed, confirmed to which you all will do well to pay attention as, a lamp, as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So here, Peter explains that the word of God came to us via man and through the Holy Spirit. God could have dropped his word out of the sky, but instead, in his kindness, he used people to create his word. Not only does this provide people who can verify God's word to others during their lifetime, but today, it is a consistent reminder of God's concern. God used man to reveal himself to us because his desire is for man to know him. God didn't drop the Bible out of the sky and we happened to stumble across it. 
He used man because he wanted man to know him. And this is done by the Holy Spirit. The expression carried along in verse 21 is used elsewhere in scripture to describe how a sailboat is carried along by the wind. The idea is that the prophets opened up their seals as they wrote and the Holy Spirit carried them along as they wrote and um, as they wrote things down. In other words, the prophetic word about Christ's coming again didn't originate by someone making it up. Rather, it originated by divine inspiration. So we don't have to worry about the reliability of fallen men because of God's spirit, his word was brought to us. And so if you're someone who's looking for a spiritual experience during your life, can I encourage you that the place to look is God's word. When we read the Bible, we're not only encountering God the Father, but we're encountering the spirit it was carried by. So if you're tempted to think of the Bible as a history textbook or as a law thesis, you're really missing entirely the God who is revealing himself and the spirit you're encountering. So can we flick um, on to 2 Peter chapter 3, um, verses 14 to 18? Martha, could you read that? Thank you. Sorry. Front row gets picked on. <laughs> Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. Encount the patient of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given to him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction, as they do the other scriptures. You, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Thank you. This passage is amazing to me. Not only is Peter, the guy who fished and hill walked with Jesus, referring to Paul's letters to the churches as scripture, but he's saying it's on the same par as the Old Testament. But also, Peter is showing us the triune purpose of God's word. Peter explains in verse 16 that some people twist God's word and they misuse it. But in verse 17, we see that this causes people to lose their, stabil their stability or confidence in the gospel. But Peter explains the correct use of God's word in verse 18 can cause people to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So God the Father speaks his word through the Holy Spirit so that you may know the Savior, Jesus Christ. We don't have the ramblings of an eternal God but we have God's word with the exact purpose of calling you to know and respond to his son. He came to save you. All of God's word was spoken, written, and recorded with the purpose of having you be in a relationship with him. And so finally, turn with me to Psalm 19, verse 10. So the there in this passage um, is God's word.
So verse 10. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. God's word was spoken by a man through the Holy Spirit so that you may know Jesus, your Savior. And therefore, God's word is precious, more desirable than gold and sweeter than honey. The psalmist says that God's word refreshes the soul. It makes wise the simple, gives joy to the heart and light to the eyes. The New Testament adds that it teaches us, rebukes us, directs us, and trains us in righteousness. It's compared in the Bible um, to a sword because God's word penetrates our heart. Like a lamp, it directs our path. God's word is very, very precious. More precious than pure gold and sweeter than than honey from the comb. Thank you, Aaron. Um, I'm going to get you to turn in groups. There's going to be a question here on the screen. What difference does it make knowing I can trust the Bible? So you can discuss that at your tables for a bit. Cool. Cut across the conversations. Um, hope that was helpful. I'm going to run through a few things um, that when we take God at his word, a few ways they apply and help us in our lives. So if we... I've organised it ABC. So if we look first, God's word is authoritative. Um, and that means, firstly, we obey all its commandments. Um, from the smallest to the greatest, ones we can be prone to overlook, like do not lie, um, or ones that we think are less important because they don't seem to hurt anybody, like drunkenness. Um, but if the Bible is God's word, then all its commandments should be kept. Secondly, um, we consult what it says when we make our decisions. Um, yeah we would never take treatment without the advice of a doctor so I think we should always look for God's guidance God who is all wise has um, told us how we should live with regards to dating and marriage and work and rest and money and all these other sorts of things in the Bible so when we're thinking about how we live our lives um, the Bible um, going to God's authoritative but also reliable word um, and we should evaluate our, light, our actions in light of its teaching. Um, sometimes we can be prone to think, um, to evaluate ourselves comparing us to someone else or thinking about how something made us feel, um, but the Bible has the standard of living that God expects um, and sin is falling short of the glory of God. So therefore we should always try our best to become close to the standard of living that God has set. Secondly, um, the Bible... Yeah, B, the Bible is also beautiful. If it is God's word, it is beautiful. Um, a couple of applications for that. Um, if we start at the second point first, um, we should read it with reverence. Psalm 33 in verse 8 says, Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. And if our God is a great God, um, we shouldn't approach his word um, lightly or breezily. Um, have you ever known a godly old Christian who doesn't have a great reverence for the things of God? Therefore, it is um, essential that we should uh, read God's word with reverence whenever we read it. We should also praise and thank God that he has gifted us the Bible. Um, in Isaiah 66, verse 1, the Lord says, Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Um, 
The Bible describes God continually as the most high God. Um, so it is a gift that he even gives us our, the Bible to, so that we can know him. So every time we open our Bibles, we should do it with thankfulness, knowing that it's a gift from God. Um, yeah, thirdly, we should depend on the Bible. Um, how do you want to grow as a Christian? Um, we need to be reading the Bible if we're walking, if we want to be walking near God. The Bible says, 2 Timothy 3.16, Scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Um, we are really kidding ourselves if we think we can grow as a Christian, but we are neglecting God's Word. I think that um, the other thing I want to mention under here is that um, wherever the Bible is, the Holy Spirit is. Um, so like, it's the teaching of the Bible that um, the Bible, God's Word, and the Holy Spirit, they go together. Um, they're inseparable where the Bible is opened. Um, God's Spirit is present with his believers. Um, so just quick three examples to illustrate this. Um, Paul says, when we are saved, we are saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and through belief in the truth, that is the Word of God, Second Thessalonians 2. And when we read Scripture, the Spirit is there to give understanding. Um, Paul says, 1 Corinthians 2, the Spirit, um, Paul says, He imparts this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit. Um, and speaking of the preached Word, Paul also says, Hearers are being transformed from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit, 2 Corinthians 3. Um, so the big point is this. Whenever we read the Word, the Spirit is at work within us. Um, the two go together. We shouldn't be looking anywhere else um, for uh, the power and presence and working of the Holy Spirit, but in God's Word. Um, people in the world, look in, or in the church even, look in all sorts of places, such as music or beauty, experiences, wherever or whoever... Um, they are with and they feel most close to God. Um, but the Bible clearly teaches us that we don't have to go chasing all around the world um, to have the Spirit. But when we open the Bible um, and are reading the Bible, the Spirit is present with us. Um, one last point I want to look at C. Um, the Bible is clear. Um, yeah. And that means we should praise God for making a full and clear revelation of Himself. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, I think the Bible tells us lots of wonderful things about God. God is love. God sent his son to die for sinners. God will glorify us in heaven and many other things. And when we feel our sin, the Bible is there to remind us how kind God is to sinners. When we're busy and prone to forget about God, we, if we've set a time to read our Bibles, we will remember him. Um, so we should... God and the Bible makes clear revelation of who he is and how to be saved, and for that we should praise him. And lastly, one last thing, God has um, given the church teachers to help us understand what the Bible says. Um, so Ephesians 4.11, Christ gave shepherds and teachers to the church. Um, sometimes, when we can't fully understand it, we've also got teachers to help us understand it. Um, yeah, we should listen to and follow teachers, therefore. Um, but we should also remember we've been given the um, ability to evaluate um, the teaching we receive to see if it fits with Scripture. Um, Acts 17 talks about the Bereans um, who listened to Paul and evaluated all he said in light of the Scripture. Um, so those are some 
practical ways, the Bible being God's word makes a difference to our life. And now we're going to look a bit more at reliability. So Aaron will pop up. Smooth. <laughs> um, so um, we believe that the Bible is sufficient, obviously. And therefore the case for why the Bible is reliable can be made entirely through the use of scripture alone. Um, However, there is a growing scepticism about God's word, um, a scepticism that can be found in our theology departments, um, in what Muslims and and Mormons are taught um, about the Bible. Um, But also I think that scepticism is found in the mouths of our progressive atheist friends. Um, So we want to be front-footed in our ability to answer questions about reliability. Um, in a way that is not only reassuring to us, but is also persuasive to others. Um, As we explore these topics, we're going to be focusing primarily on the New Testament. Um, This is not because there's not useful or trustworthy things to say about the Old Testament, um, but because Jesus is the stumbling block of all mankind. Um, The cross is what will divide all people. Um, So it really matters if the New Testament is reliable. So to begin with, why are these books in the canon? Um, This is a really common question um, for those who know and those who don't know Jesus. Um, How did we get to having these 27 books? Was it just a bunch of old white guys deciding what the new hot religion of the Middle East was going to consist of? Well, if you know anything about the Middle East, you'll know it wasn't a bunch of white guys. And if you know anything about the Bible, um, you'll know that people getting together and deciding for themselves how God is to be worshipped doesn't work out well. I'm thinking golden calf. So, (laughs) instead, the story of the Bible, um, the story of the canon forming, is the story of God's people relying on the Holy Spirit, as Mark was saying, loving each other and wanting to make Jesus known. I should say the word canon um, means the books we regard as authoritative scripture. And so you'll often hear people refer to it as a closed canon um, because we're no longer adding books to the Bible and believing their scripture. So the story of how the New Testament was formed, I think is really like the story of how a song became a hit. Someone created it, people heard it, they thought it was great, so they shared it with others. And those people loved it, so they shared it with others. And before you know it, everyone is listening to it. And we have a record of that because of the radio has it as number one, or Spotify. I realize no one listens to the radio anymore. So Spotify has recorded it as number one. The chart itself didn't make that song a hit, but it is a record of the fact that it was. So we have people like Athanasius um, in 367 AD, recording an identical list of canon that we have today. So that was Athanasius in 367 AD. That doesn't mean that Athanasius decided who, what was in the canon. This is the Spotify chart that is just recording it. It was the listeners who decided. And I want you to keep in mind that date, because that date is crazy early, and we're going to look at dates later on, so it's helpful to bear that in mind. But sticking with our metaphor, How did the listeners decide what a good scripture song was? Well, there's no clear-cut criteria um, of what was originally decided, because it was through the work of the Holy Spirit in churches, wanting to love their fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, and wanting to make Jesus known. But there are some rough guidelines 
that are true for each of the books in the New Testament canon. And these form a really helpful acronym. Dad. <laughs> I was very proud of that. Too. <laughs> so we have date. The books were written during the lifetime of those who knew Jesus. We have the authorship. They were written by or from the testimony of those who knew Jesus. And we have distribution. They were widely circulated and accepted by churches who believed the gospel and were relying on the Holy Spirit. I find this an incredibly encouraging story. God chose to use his people and his church to build up his believers and to make himself known. It's almost like exactly what he's doing today. A sentence on why the Apocrypha is not considered scripture, because no one thought it was until a group of white guys decided it was in 1546, which we have just seen is not how God establishes the scripture. He is far more sovereign than that. So has the contents changed over time? You'll meet a lot of people who doubt that what we have is really what they had back then. So we're gonna look at three examples that help highlight just how reliable scripture has been recorded and handed down. So our first is the number of manuscripts. Let's explore what the norm is um, for ancient manuscripts because we're not all historians or classicists. Um, and as I was researching these, there are slight variations in numbers. So as a rule of thumb, I picked the numbers that were least generous towards Christianity. So just bear that thought in mind. So we're going to look at Tacitus, Plato, and Suetonius. I'm sorry, I know people have different pronunciations of those, and I don't care. <laughs> so, these are three massive figures. In... <laughs> I saw that. Martha just mugged. She was wrong. <laughs> Wait, three, these are three massive figures in reconstructing the Greco-Roman world. We use these guys to reconstruct our view of Greco-Roman culture really without question of their reliability. Um, but here are some numbers. We have Tacitus 800 years after his writing. We have the, the earliest record. And we have 20 of those, so that's, that's pretty good. Then Plato, 500 years, doing well. Seven, less well. Suetonius, 900 years. Oh. And eight copies, doing less well. Now, remember what I said about that date, 367. Remember, that was crazy early. Just compare that to these guys. Their writings are years and years later than our record of um, when scripture was formed. So, the number of um, manuscripts we have of the New Testament, if we're just considering Greek manuscripts, we have 5,300. That's 5,300 copies of the New Testament, which is obviously way more than these other things. If we were to add in Latin, Coptic, Syriac, Aramaic, we have 10,000 Latin manuscripts that we could add onto that, and we have 20,000 um, of different languages, Coptic, Aramaic. Um, so we're getting into some pretty big numbers of the amount of manuscripts we have. And that is not considering um, the early church fathers. From the early church fathers alone, we could almost reproduce all of the New Testament. Um, so we're not even counting um, times that the New Testament was quoted in other manuscripts. We're just taking um, the Bible for itself. Um, but we're gonna look at our second point. What about the dates of these manuscripts though? Um, we're gonna take John as our example. This is the latest of all of the gospel accounts of Jesus. Um, 
So some of you may have been told that John was written around 160, 180 AD. Not only is that pretty late, um, but it's definitely not during John's lifetime or any eyewitness. Um, so we're getting into some difficulty there, if that date is correct. Um, and this was the assumed consensus for John's gospel until 1934, um, when someone went digging in an ancient rubbish pit in Egypt called Oxyrhynchus. I just really like that name, so wanted to add that. <laughs> um, there, amongst the tax returns and the receipts, um, they found a manuscript called P42, P52, and um, this is Papyrus 52, on which was written some of John 18. And the date this was written was around AD 130. Um, again, I chose the least favourable numbers. A lot of people think 100 AD, but we'll go with 130 AD. Um, so now we have the co- a copy of the latest gospel of Jesus' life, written 100 years after Jesus' death. And so remember that this is just a copy. Um, this is not even the original. And this copy was found in a rubbish dump. And this is my opinion, and I am not a historian, but just how early must John have been written to have been copied so many times and distributed so widely that this made its hands, this made it into the hands of someone who put it in a rubbish pit. I think um, 130 is an amazing um, date that gives us a lot of hope in the reassurance that we have. So aren't there just loads of variants though in these copies? We have loads of manuscripts, but don't they all disagree? Um, and I want to, um, to remember that the reason you might have heard that there are loads of manuscripts, a big factor in that is because we have lots um, of, sorry, you might have heard that there's loads of variants, and a big factor in that is the fact that we have loads of manuscripts. If we only had one, there would obviously not be any variation, um, but we have loads, so that, that is a big factor. Um, However, the vast majority of the variants we have in manuscripts are of the lowest level. Um, So we're going to take Isaiah um, as our example here. A really big book, surely there's loads of variation um, in it being copied. So a copy of Isaiah from around 1000 AD um, was found. Um, This is what um, the King James Bible would have been translated from. Um, This was the copy that we made all of our translations from. And then a shepherd boy went into a cave and found a copy of Isaiah from around 125 BC. So that's over a thousand years of difference. How many changes do you think there's been during that thousand years of people hand copying and physically distributing this book? There's 66 um, chapters in this book, and it would have been hand-copied hundreds of times. And over those 1,000 years, there were 17 letters of difference. 10 of those were spelling differences that made no changes to the meaning. Four of them were minor Hebrew grammar differences. And three were the fact that the word light has been lost. So turn with me to Isaiah 53, verse 11. Isaiah 53, verse 11. And you'll see, what do we do when we find variants in these manuscripts? We completely own them 
Um, if you look at your footnote for that verse, um, footnote number four, you'll see that in the Dead Sea Scrolls, there was a copy that said, he shall see light. Um, we have complete access um, to the changes in the text. Nothing is kept hidden from you when there is a variant. And so I want to encourage you to ask, why was this scroll so well preserved? Sure, it's because the humidity and the light exposure in the Dead Sea Caves is minimum. But really, I think it's because God wanted you to have confidence in his son. God had Isaiah meticulously copied over thousands of years and perfectly preserved in a cave so that you could know his son. He wanted you to know um, 53, verse 6. And we all like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. I'm going to hand it over to Mark for our final question. Thank you, Erin. Um, we'll think about this question in groups and then I'll share some ideas myself. So how does knowing we have answers to these questions help us in our faith? So knowing that we can trust the Bible, that it's reliable and it's been kept for us. How does this help us in our faith? Sorry to interrupt and cut across your conversations again. Um, you might have thought about in grips um, the kind of uh, benefit this does with sharing your faith with people who don't think um, scripture is trustworthy or um, reliable or I know Muslims who think um, the Bible has been corrupted um, and they've got the true scripture, but we can see that the Bible is preserved. I think knowing the Bible is trustworthy, true, unpreserved, and reliable gives heft to all the other things that I said earlier as well. Um, but we're going to look under uh, two headings. We're going to look under, first, since the Bible is trustworthy, how should we respond? Um, and then how, um, since the Bible was preserved for us, how we should respond. So firstly, looking at um, trustworthiness of the Bible, um, I think since the Bible is trustworthy, that means we can really know that the Holy Spirit works in us um, by the Scripture. Uh, if we know that the Scripture is reliable, it's really God's Word um, that has been preserved for us. Um, we know that um, our responses to God's Word are from the Spirit. Um, it creates true conviction from God's Word. It creates true joy in us from God's Word. He grows us as a Christian. Um, making us more holy by God's word and we have and confidence that these things are really from God because the Bible is really um, preserved as God's word. Um, we can of course as a caveat react wrongly or quench the Spirit's um, work um, but since the scripture is trustworthily true um, we can be confident that the Holy Spirit works in us by it. Um, secondly I think since the we can trust that this book that we have on our tables is really God's word. We have to be um, careful how we respond to it. Um, as we have already heard from Aaron earlier, um, looking at Second Peter chapter 3, um, you can sort of twist the Bible to say whatever you want about it, really. Um, even the Pharisees thought that the Bible was trustworthy and reliable, um, but they had the wrong reaction, or they had the wrong um, they used it in the wrong way. Um, I think people who are proud can often focus on the um, c 
commandments and twist God's word into an instruction manual um, to make them feel good when they keep all the commandments. Um, but they're really far from God in their hearts. Um, people who are, feel inadequate um, and a sense of their sin can also excessively focus on the do this commandments of scripture um, because they are preoccupied with how little they measure up to them. Um, for some people, the Bible becomes a, like a theology textbook um, that they forget the Holy Spirit is present when they read it. Um, often, this is tricky because ethical instructions and theology are good things revealed to us in Scripture, um, but God's Word is primarily given to us as a trustworthy guide to be a revelation of Himself and the way to be saved. Um, so we must always have these things in mind as the big message of Scripture when we're using it, so that we're using it correctly. Um, also, we know that the Scripture has been is trustworthy and reliable, um, so that when we don't understand it, um, we know that it's all true, that it's all God's Word, um, and it has been truly handed down to us. Um, and that means that the lack of understanding when we come to God's Word is um, from ourselves, since we're finite human beings, we're sinful, um, we cannot understand um, things as they should be often, um, and it's not from any lack of clarity in God's word. Um, mm-hmm. So secondly, looking um, that the Bible has been preserved for us. Um, since the Bible has been preserved um, from God, um, we, have a, we know the way to be saved. Um, we're all, God has revealed himself in nature and we're all guilty of rejecting God um, because we, Romans 1 verse 20 says, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. Um, being without excuse means you cannot say when you live in this world created by God that we didn't know there was a God or we didn't know God. Um, it's as silly as saying when the post arrives every morning on your doorstep that you didn't know there was a postman. Um, but we're all found guilty of rejecting God um, because we see his existence in creation. So we should... But we, the creation does not show us the way to be saved. So we should be very thankful to God and praising him because he gave us in the Bible, in the New Testament, as we were thinking. Um, he preserved it for us to show us how to be saved. Um, and we should really praise him for that. Um, yeah. And we should be thankful uh, that God has given us his word as well. Um, yeah. In Colossians 1, Paul talks about um, his ministry to make the word of God fully known um, in verse 25. And he goes on in verse 26 to say it contained a hidden mystery um, and that was made, um, and that God has made known uh, the glorious riches of this mystery, Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Um, note the language used by Paul it's riches, treasure, glory. It's all very strong and very lavish language. Um, Yeah, I think we should be extremely thankful that we have the book that preserves this mystery for us that has been hidden but is revealed in all its fullness in the scripture. Um, A treasured message, a glorious message. Um, And we should thank God for giving us the scriptures. Um, And since this message about Jesus is so good, um, 
so good to grow us in our faith and holiness and for us to know God. I th- we should also make sure that we are not neglecting um, God's word in our life, but reading it and studying it, um, both as part of the church and in our individual um, quiet times and walks with the Lord. Um, so these are some ideas from me. Thank you for listening. Um, I think we're going to turn together into small groups of twos or um, threes or fours and pray together, and then Aaron's going to come up. And whenever we're done, thank you very much. I'd to cut across your prayers there. Um, I appreciate that this was quite a whistle-stop tour through quite a big topic. Um, so if you've still got questions, um, if you have any immediate questions, feel free to ask Mark or I. Um, but also I wanted to recommend um, some resources if you want to keep looking. Um, so I actually have a copy of this book and um, it's really, really helpful. It goes through um, lots of what we spoke about today, but lots of other issues around trusting the Bible. And it, it's very readable um, and um, has like jam-packed with info. Um, so if anyone would like um, to borrow my copy, you're very welcome to. Um, I really, I can't recommend it enough. If you're um, someone who prefers, prefers uh, listening rather than reading, I also have a few podcast recommendations. I love a podcast, so um, if you'd like to listen to one, um, I can recommend you some. Um, but yeah, if you've um, still got big questions, um, I'd encourage you that there are answers out there. So do um, ask those questions. Um, but we're going.